Good morning. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a lot happening in our world. Um, as you watch the news or read the paper or in conversation, and um, it seems like our attention mostly this past week has been drawn to what's happening in Afghanistan. And I want to take uh, just a minute, I want to invite you to join me in prayer, because I think we need to be in prayer with what's happening over there, but also particularly for maybe our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you do that with me? God, we come before you as always because you are sovereign and we are not. You possess all knowledge, you possess all power. And God, when we stop and we read articles or we watch news clips and we try to get our mind around what is happening around our world and particularly this week with what's happening in Afghanistan, we, we can't comprehend. And in many ways, God, we cannot relate. And Lord, ultimately, we come before you and we ask for intervention. We ask that you would step in. But we trust your will, whatever your ultimate will is. And with that, Lord, we pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing unfathomable persecution. God, would you protect them? Would you provide, in a miraculous way, a way out for those who are still there? God, I pray for those who have served, maybe some among us in Afghanistan over the last several years and those who have recently served and, and, and all the emotions and the things that are maybe going through their minds of questions like, was it worth it? God, I pray that you would just meet them as well. Give them a sense of peace. Help them to turn their attention to you. God, we trust you. This is your world. This is your church. We are your people. And so we call out to you, God. And now we turn our attention to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us and teach us and remind us of all of the things in scripture that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Jonah chapter two, verses one through 10. You can follow along on version. that's our, uh, an app on, the Bible, uh, on your phone or your tablet, if you follow along that way. It's got all the notes, everything you need. Jonah two, one through 10. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning today as we seek to learn more and as we seek and desire to go deeper in our walk with Christ. We are on a mission and it's a mission to love God, love others and serve the world. Last week you might remember that I challenged you and kind of the, maybe uh, one of the groups to challenge and, and that is that would you consider being here in person for three weeks in a row on September 12th, 19th and 26th particularly those who maybe haven't joined us yet again, we invite you, if you're able, anyone who's able to join us in person those three weeks as we talk about what it means to gather as a church, what is the church? What it, when we talk about what it means to grow as a believer, what it means to go and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So we're in the study of the book of Jonah, Jonah and the well. And there's probably no other story, really, when you think about Scripture, and all of Scripture that is more ridiculed than this one. In fact, many people have asked, why is this even in the Bible? That question mark has come up. 
There was this little girl who was at a street fair with her, with her family. And as they were walking through, she, she just loved Jesus. And she was really passionate about Jesus. And she decided as they're walking along on the street just to start talking about Jesus. So she starts talking about Jesus and this crowd begins to form and they're just intrigued and they just love this little girl's passion. And she's talking about Jesus and this guy walks up and he's well-dressed and it didn't take long to, to recognize that he's probably an intellectual and, and an atheist. And he's like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna really destroy this little girl right in front of everybody. And that was his agenda and that was his goal. And so he starts, I'm gonna ask her some questions that she can't answer. And so he starts to ask questions. Do you really believe in the Bible? And she says, yes, sir, I do. Do you believe all the miracles in the Bible? Yes, sir, I do. Okay, think about Jonah and the well. Do you really, come on, do you really believe the story of Jonah and the well? Yes, sir, I do. Okay, well then how did it happen? She said, I, I have no idea how it happened. I'll have to ask him when I get to heaven. And he says, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? He's in hell. She said, then you ask him. <laughs> Pretty bold little girl. Keep in mind, everything in this book points to God's sovereignty his relentless pursuit, his love for all people. And like in all of the Bible, there, there are traces of Jesus all throughout this book. I wanna do a, a quick recap. The book of Jonah opens with these words. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah's like, uh-uh, not me. No way. And he's thinking to himself, I'm not going to Nineveh. They're terrible people, they're wicked people. They don't deserve God's mercy. That was his whole point. So, so he jumps on this boat and starts heading to Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh. And, and so while on this boat, he and the other sailors found themselves in, in this violent storm. And what did Jonah do? He decides, I'm gonna go below deck and take a little bit of a nap. Eventually, they throw all the cargo overboard and they're thinking, well, maybe that'll lighten the load and that'll help to calm things. They, they try to row back to the shore. And when none of that worked, they obliged Jonah's request, if you remember, and threw him overboard, and this great violent sea grew calm instantly. Last week, we concluded with verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So last week, we took note of the first four words in verse four of chapter one, and it said this, then the Lord sent, and we, last week we talked a lot about the sovereignty of God. There, there's no mincing words here. It says the Lord sent the storm. And we talked about how God causes or allows all things to happen. In this particular case, he caused it, it was intentional. And Jonah found himself in the middle of a storm out of the middle of the sea, not just any storm, but a violent, violent storm sent by God. So then we come to verse 17 at the end of chapter one, and here are these four, first four words. Now the Lord provided. Four words, then the Lord sent, now the Lord provided. He sent the storm, he provided the fish. It's next to impossible to read this book and not have our attention constantly. It's like it's constant redirecting our attention towards God. It, it, it's like, don't look at Jonah, don't look at the well, don't, don't even look at Nineveh, don't look at anything, look to God. That's what it's constantly doing. 
He sent the storm, he provided the fish, he caused the waves and he provided a rescue. Once Jonah resurfaced and he caught his breath, the next thing he recognizes he's in the belly of this large fish. And though we often refer to this as a well, Jonah and the well, scripture doesn't say well, it just says a large fish, but nonetheless. It's important to note that in the same way God sent the violent storm, he also prepared the fish. That is huge. God always provides for us in the middle of the storm. He doesn't always rescue us, but certainly he meets us and he will sustain us. So far we've seen Jonah overwhelmed by the storm, by the sea, by the fish. And today, here's what we're gonna look at. He's overwhelmed by his guilt. With God, being caught doesn't always lead to punishment. Sometimes it leads to prayer and forgiveness and reconciliation. God catches Jonah, not to punish him, but to save him. What do you do when you get caught? What do you do when, when God catches up with you? I guess we could always make excuses. We could also justify, we could blame, we could, we could always try to explain ourselves to God. But our answer to the question, what do you do when God catches up to you, could be the difference between drowning in the sea of guilt or being rescued by God. One is pride and the other is humility. And what we'll see this morning through Jonah's prayer is a pathway forward to overcome the guilt of our sin. This is a story of God giving Jonah grace, that which he didn't deserve, and, and God not giving Jonah what he did deserve, and that's mercy. But it's also a story of Jonah who finds himself in the grip of God's grace and mercy, and he responds, and he repents. And as we dive into chapter two, we'll read Jonah's prayer, but, but you have to know that these 10 verses, it's not a complete representation of all that Jonah prayed. Remember, he's, he's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Surely he prayed way more than this. This is just a sampling of what he prayed. It was inside of the fish when Jonah was reminded of all that God was capable of. In the grip of God's grace and mercy, we are reminded of who God really is. Verse one through six, I wanna start with just verse one. It's this idea, if you're following along, look to the Lord. That's what it says. From inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. From inside of the fish, Jonah did what? Jonah did what? He prayed. So finally, God has his attention and Jonah's prayer life, it, it kind of, it resurfaced all of a sudden to kind of stick with this storyline of Jonah and the well. We can relate, not, not that we don't pray often, but there are seasons when we find ourselves in the middle of a violent storm and our prayer life kicks in to full gear. And the opening words of Jonah chapter two poses as ammunition for a skeptic. A skeptic might say, do you really expect me to believe? Do you really expect me to believe that a man was swallowed by a large fish and lived there for three days? How ridiculous is that? Just listen to yourself. And no doubt, even when I say it now, it sounds crazy. 
Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Problem solved. If we can believe Genesis 1.1, then Jonah 2.1 is not a problem. When a person holds to a biblical worldview, they believe that the Bible is absolute truth. They hold to a position and an attitude and thinking that all begins and ends with God. Meaning God is central to everything. Do you believe that? If God is not the creator of the heavens and the earth, then the idea of Jonah being swallowed by a large fish is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But if God did create the heavens and the earth, the idea of being swallowed by a large fish and surviving for three days and nights is easy peasy. That'd be nothing for God. So it all goes back to what we believe to be true about God. In verse two, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah says, in my what? Distress. Maybe your translation uses a different word there. In my distress, the word distress used here paints a picture of a woman giving birth. <clears throat> I actually thought it'd be more serious than that. I'm, I'm kidding. I watched four times, but I, I just didn't get the impression that Lori was going through a whole lot during that, but I'm kidding. It's horrendous. Distress. The picture is a woman giving birth. And he goes on to say, from the deep in the realm of the dead, the idea here is the realm of hell. What's the idea there? Hell. So, so if you put this idea together, it's, it's meaning at the point I was, I was furthest from God, as far as I could go, a place of misery, a place of helplessness, a place of desperation. Some have been to a place like that in life. Some of you have. A place maybe you've referred to as living hell. Some of you are there right now. Some might say from the depths of my marriage in hell, I called to God. When my heart felt like it was in the depths of hell, I called to God. When everything on the outside, uh, everybody looked at me and watched my life, they, it looked like everything was okay, but I was incredibly down and depressed, I called to you. When I had no place to turn, I called to you. And what did the Lord do in his distress? He called on the Lord and what did the Lord do? It says that he answered. I want you to stop for just a moment and allow your mind to process the fact that you can, you can actually, even as we're sitting here, call on the God of the universe. You can actually call on the creator of all things, the sustainer of life, the one who, who called the stars out and named them. He's the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, not partially known, not partially present, not partially powerful, all. 
That God is the one that, that Jonah cried out to in distress. That God is the one who anxiously waits to hear your voice. <clears throat> he went from this attitude and this posture of forget you, God, to an attitude and a posture of prayer and desperation. And get this, God answered him. God didn't give up on him. Remember what I said last week. We all have a, just a little bit of Jonah inside of us. That is why this book is so powerful and so relatable. Jonah's change of heart reminds me of something that we've all done and we've all heard. <clears throat> Maybe you've had this conversation or you've heard a conversation like this. Somebody says, how is life? Things are bad. Things are really bad. They're so bad. I mean bad, bad, bad. I've tried everything. All I can do now is pray. You ever been there? Of course you have. And desperate times calls for desperate measures. There are other times when someone is going through a hard time and someone will say to them, I am so sorry for what you're going through. I'll be thinking about you. And then you call them the next week and you're like, hey, what are you up to? Oh, I've just been sitting here thinking about you. What are you thinking about? Like, could you possibly pray for me? Only God, because he is well aware of our fallen human condition, is able to look beyond our self-sufficient tendencies. And out of his mercy, he answers us. Verse one and two together are saying, I was as good as dead in my distress. I was helpless, had nothing to offer, but God who is rich in love and mercy was able to, to penetrate that distress and hell I found myself in and raised me up. I want you to think for just a second where, where, where he was at physically. If God can do anything, why didn't he just calm the sea and allow Jonah to swim back to shore? Why didn't the sailors throw over a piece of wood maybe that he could grab a hold of and float for a little bit? But let's not forget how we got here in the story. You see, God had been busy at work in Jonah's life all along. Jonah, I want you to go. Jonah says, no. Gets on a ship. God sends a storm. It doesn't work. God sends the captain who says, you need to pray along with us. The sailors at first refused to throw him overboard. Then when all else fails, they've tried everything. They tossed him into the sea. Then God sends a fish. God is at work all along. The story of Jonah is a good reminder to us that God never stops working. He is always at work, he never rests, but how easily we miss the little itty bitty things because we are so fixated on the big thing that we want God to do. There's been little things all along. When we come to verse three through six, the prayer of repentance, 
So he says this, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you, you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah could have, could have responded several different ways once he realized what was happening, but once he realized that his plan of sneaking out the back window and running from God wasn't going to work and that it was short-lived, he, he could have been angry with God, he could have been depressed, but instead, in his distress, he begins to utter this prayer of surrender by calling out to God in repentance. He quickly realized that the only one who could save him from the mess that he found himself in was the one who created it or allowed it. I want you to keep something in mind and that is that God is not punishing Jonah. He is simply trying to get his attention. So whenever we are overwhelmed by the guilt of sin, past or present, our starting place as we're learning from, from Jonah here, is, is our starting place is to call out to God. And what we're beginning to see happen in these few verses is what we call repentance. Uh, this is a word that doesn't get talked about very often. I remember, um, it's been a couple years ago now, and I was sharing the gospel in one service, and someone wrote a comment card to me, unsigned. And you know how I love those. Um, and it said, you know, you left one major piece out, you never talked about repentance. So I'm gonna talk about repentance. What, what we're beginning to see here happen in these few verses is what we call repentance. It's the idea of doing an about face. Maybe you've heard this. You're going one direction and it means to turn completely away from and turn the other way and to turn towards God. Repentance is way different than saying I'm sorry. Repentance is, is feeling or showing sorrow Whereas being sorry means regretful. Second Corinthians 7.10 is an amazing verse. When we talk about sorrow and repentance, this is what it says. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So repentance leads to forgiveness because it implies another has been offended. Repentance has God in mind. Being sorry doesn't necessarily lead to forgiveness because it has more of self in mind than it does anyone else. Being sorry usually has to do with appeasing our own regret and very little to do with turning away from our wrongdoing and turning towards God. Why do we tend to lean towards being sorry more so than repentance? Because it, it isn't until we get to a place of godly sorrow will we ever repent. Because it means we have to admit that whatever it is that we're turning from, that it offends God. And it's against his holy nature. 
It's a conscious decision to change our behavior from immaturity to maturity, from, from dysfunction moving towards health, from captivity to freedom in Christ. So to say I'm sorry doesn't require us to give up anything. It could just mean, oh, I got caught, I'm sorry. I, I really regret it. But to repent means we have to let go of the very thing that we're turning from. So, so we can't turn from it and turn towards God and hang on to it. We don't repent out of fear of God striking us dead on the spot. We repent as a means of making a genuine choice to live life as an offering pleasing to God. So guilt, remember we said he's overwhelmed by guilt. Guilt is what we experience when we run from God. Worldly guilt leads us to, to feeling condemned and hopeless. All it says to us is that, that, that we are bad and that we'll never be good enough. We all, have, we all experience guilt, we all know what that is. Worldly guilt lies to us about God, telling us that we have to earn favor with God. I'm a believer in Jesus, and I trust that's you, I pray that you, has been justified. And remember, godly sorrow leaves no regret. For a believer, guilt is not a position or an identity where we stay. It's a wake-up call that something isn't right. It's the result of the Holy Spirit convicting us. Guys, if the Holy Spirit is not convicting you, I'd be asking that question of God. It ought to be a trigger causing us to turn to God. Don't get stuck in false guilt either, knowing that God has forgiven you once and for all. Stand in the truth of that. But we get stuck sometimes and for all, but, but you just can't forgive yourself, right? I hear people say that. That is nothing more than Satan whispering to you, you are not worthy of a full pardon. Who you run to is more important than what you run from. The power of guilt. We were on vacation here a couple weeks ago. We did this big loop of Rapid City, Cody, uh, Yellowstone, Red Lodge, Billings, Montana. Several of those places we had never been to. So we're in, we're in Billings and uh, we're camping there and we always look for things to do. And, and uh, so it's kind of like we left this camping season of our vacation. Now we went to the big city of Billings. Um, which by the way, they have a really cool shield store. Isn't that what you do on vacation? You visit the shield stores? So we're on vacation. One of the things that we found out about Billings is they have a drive-in. Like when's the last time you've been to a drive-in? So we're like, that would be really cool to do. Let's go to the drive-in. Well, I can tell you, it wasn't exactly what we thought it was going to be. But we went to this drive-in and um, there was no other movie planned. So Lori and I backed up our truck and got popcorn and set up on the tailgate and watched Boss Baby 2 or whatever it's called. <laughs> Lori lasted for about 45 minutes. And she said, well, let's just go sit in the truck. I said, honey, the problem is the truck is facing away from the screen. It's gonna look really weird. So we finished watching the movie. But after the movie, we, we were out of gas, which is not uncommon for us on vacation. You've heard other stories. 
So there's a gas station right there. So I stop and I get gas. It's like 11 o'clock at night and I get out and I put my card in and, I, and then I pull my card out and nothing happens. And then I put my card in again and, and it won't go in. I'm like, this is, this is really strange. And so I pull my card out, but it says lift the handle and, and select your, your grade. And I'm like, this is really strange. So I lifted the handle, select my grade. Sure enough, gas starts pumping. And I'm like, okay. So it pumps to 3125 and then it shuts off. I'm like, okay, this is, this is really weird. So I went inside and I said to the lady, hey, I was just outside, I'm trying to pump gas. I explained the whole card thing and all of that. And um, I said, it, then it pumped to 3125. She's like, well, what pump are you on? Okay, we're out in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody at this gas station. It's just me pumping gas. And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, you're gonna have to go look. Do you guys run into this kind of stuff? I'm like, okay, I'll be right back. So I went out and I looked up the door, pump 13, come back in. I said, it's pump 13. She said, thank you. She looks it up. They can tell, you know, and she's like, oh, somebody prepaid on that pump and forgot to get their gas. I said, oh, well, thank you. Um, and she said, you're gonna have to pay for that. I said, okay. So I started to get out my debit card. She's like, no, you're gonna have to pay cash. I said, I don't carry cash. It's 11 o'clock at night. I don't carry cash. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if it's 11 o'clock at night. I just don't carry cash. And I said, all I have is a debit card. And uh, she said, well, okay. And she starts getting frustrated. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. This is what I said. I, don't, I really don't know what you want me to do. I don't have cash. What are, how are we gonna solve this? She says, well, there's an ATM right over there or there's a casino right there. And uh, I said, you want me to pay a fee at an ATM to get cash to pay for somebody else's gas who forgot to get their gas? Yeah. I said, I'm not gonna do that. And she said, okay. So I started feeling really guilty. Um, I started feeling really guilty because I became a millionaire uh, in the casino. And uh, now I don't know what to do with all that money. Um, no, not really. I just started feeling guilty. I went out and lo and behold, Lori had some cash and, and I paid for the gas. Guilt's an interesting thing because everything inside of me was like, sorry, guy paid, forgot to get his gas, left. I, I get to be the winner, right? But I couldn't do that. I just really felt guilty. Some of that's fleshly guilt, but there is a spiritual guilt by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You ever experienced that? Verse seven, remember the Lord. Verse seven says, when my life, so remember he's in this fish, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So he's beginning to lose hope. And he said, when my life was, was, was ebbing away, he could feel his life slipping away, living in disobedience to the Lord. And I think that what we're witnessing here with, with Jonah is a great reminder to all of us that there's always hope. Even when you feel like the, the seaweed is wrapped around you and you can't see two feet in front of you, there is always hope. It's easy to say, I always remember God. God is always on my mind. The fact is, if I were to say that to you right now, I would be flat out lying. I don't always remember God as I should. He's not always on my mind, the first thing. It'd be more honest for me to say, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Only to realize one day I've been doing everything in my own power. When the unthinkable happens, there's hope. 
When you find yourself in a place that reeks of despair, there's hope. When you feel all alone, there's hope. When darkness surrounds you, there is hope. When there seems to be no other way, there's hope. To remember, verse seven, to remember means hope. Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed before I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the third thing that happens is in verse eight and nine, worship the Lord. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Let that sink in. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Those who turn to little g gods, those who turn to idols. Jonah struggled with idols. And maybe he didn't even realize it. He was prejudiced. That was one of his idols. He, he, he despised a group of people. He, he knew what God wanted him to do, but instead he turned toward his own idol. He had the idol of self. You might remember a few weeks ago we talked about this when I said little g idols. One of the biggest little g idols that we often have is self. And the idol reveals itself when we know what God's word says. I want, you to, I want you to hear this, I'm almost done. The idol reveals itself when we know what God's word says, and you can make up your own scenarios, but we live in this, with this mentality of, I don't care. It's not what I want, or it's not how I wanna live. The idol of self it could be our own image. I could think of some scenarios. It could be a relationship. I like her. And then a friend says, but she's not a believer. So be careful. I don't care. I want to sleep with her. But God says, wait until you're married. I don't care. The idol of self could be materialism. I want this, I want that. But God says that we're supposed to give sacrificially to his work, I don't care. I just don't care. The idol of self moves us to a position of I don't care. Idols cause us to look different direction, away from God, away from his grace, away from his truth. And then Jonah says in verse nine, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. His heart begins to turn from this idol of self to this, to this grateful praise. And then in the second part of verse nine, he says, what I have vowed, I'll make good. What I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He had probably made a vow prior to God. God, I will say whatever you want me to say. I, I, I'm willing to be used by you. I will go where you want me to go. Basically, Jonah is, is kind of, he's re-upping his vows. 
He's making good on his word. He says, remember God, when I said all of these things, there are always, guys, there's always second chances with God. And sometimes I hear that and I think, well, that isn't altogether true because there's third chances and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh. It goes on and it says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Keep in mind, Jonah was inside of a fish. There's nothing he could do. There's no place he could go. In his position, all he could do is admit that salvation comes from the Lord, not from anything that he could offer. He had nothing to offer. Not even going to Nineveh if he was so spiritual as to do that. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Kind of a disgusting image. Hey, what'd you do today? I was vomited up by a well. How about you? It's an image though that will always remind us that that God answers prayer. It may not always be pretty, but God is a God of second chances. God is a God of forgiveness. Second chances often come with, do you want a second chance? Often they come with a redirecting storm. The grace and the mercy of a fish. The distress like that of a childbirth. Seasons of a living hell. And the smell of seaweed and stomach juice. But nonetheless, he's a God of second chances. Would you stand? um, And we're going to worship with one more song as we close, but I want to walk you through the one thing. I did this a little bit last week, and, and I want to walk you through this, this uh, guided prayer. And I'm wondering if we'll, we're just going to do a verse at a time, and maybe we can just read the one verse, and then we'll stop. And then I, I just want us, when I stop and I pause, I want us all to, to reflect on the words that we just spoke and to really wrestle with God. So just the first two lines, would you join me in reading those? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Think about what you're asking. And the next two lines, Will you read it with me? Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And then the last two lines. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.